People will always fill in the blanks with assumptions when they don't have the whole story, and that's true for the worst gossips as well as for the best historians, both in the real world and in Westeros. This recurring feature of human nature was written into Fire and Blood with distinct purpose by George R. R. Martin, and in Episode 5 of House of the Dragon called We Light the Way, the theme is as prominent as the Beacon of the Hightower. In line with that, the episode title is also the words of House Hightower. As he's leaving in the pouring rain, Otto tries to light the way for his daughter one last time. He tells her there can be no doubt that the realm will refuse to follow Rhaenyra, which will leave her no choice but to kill all other claimants, forcing the realm to accept her by default. Though her baby daughter might be spared, her son Aegon bears the name of the Conqueror himself. That's a threat. This may come to a head sooner than anyone is prepared for. King Viserys' health continues to decline severely. There are mounting signs that he may not be long for this world. Otto explains it well, that the king may yet live for years, but he will surely not grow old. From the look of him, one would think him much older than he is. Time is not on the queen's side. The king is plagued by a leprosy-like condition which continues the ongoing metaphor of the burden wrought by sitting the Iron Throne. With death in sight, Viserys has been concerned with his legacy. He says that while he has won no great victories, he has also suffered no great defeats, the suggestion being that his reign has been forgettable. However, the wedding of his daughter and the heir to the powerful House Velaryon is a chance to do right by her while also making a good choice for the realm and potentially creating a legacy for himself in the process. He calls it the Second Age of Dragons, the first having been in Old Valyria, which he has been obsessed with for much of his life, which we see primarily through his model project of the Freehold's capital. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! It's anger! Let me at him! Fear! Safety checklist is complete! Disgust! Ew! Ew! Sadness is in the house! Oh no! Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. He goes in person to make the offer, and we see the beauty of Driftmark, both of the natural and human design variety, and some of uncertain origin as well. While House Valarian and House Targaryen have wed before, the circumstances are much different in this case. Note that Lord Corlys did not make assumptions, at least not with regard to the succession. He sought clarity on a number of issues before accepting. They agreed that any Valarian ascending the throne will be called Targaryen, any others remaining Valarian. Also of great importance, Viserys tells Corlys and Rhaenys that Laenor and Rhaenyra's firstborn will be heir to the throne no matter their gender. Corlys does make an assumption, a mistaken one, that his wife wants justice for being passed over. She tells him she's moved on from that, but now they're back in the game anyway. It's a more intimate and unique arrangement than most marriages, but also arguably the most powerful alliance ever seen in Westeros to date. Though Viserys laments his own lack of achievement, House Targaryen has never been in better shape, with so few challenges, so much wealth, and so many dragons, while House Valarian has never been richer than under the sea snake, and never before possessed with dragons at all. Now they have two whom we see arrive at the wedding, Rhaenys on Melis the Red Queen, and the groom on Sea Smoke, who we saw in the Stepstones. They may even have a third dragon, as Lena is certainly capable like her twin brother. Regardless of how many dragons House Valerian has, they are now married to the house that has all the rest. Their children will be dragon riders as well if they're up to it. Rainey says even shoring up these details doesn't get around the ultimate problem, that the realm won't accept Rhaenyra, not easily. It's essentially the same point made by Otto, but from an ally this time. House Hightower is as well possessed of this potential. Allison has her uncle's backing, but what she really needs is dragons. Not only does her son bear the name of the Conqueror, but he has his bloodline and his father's look. He has a sister, Helena, as well, every bit the blood of the dragon that he is. 
House Valarian would no longer be the only house married to the throne and possessed of dragons, if this came to pass. Prior Valarian-Targaryen matches were likely happier affairs as well. This one started off well enough, but it went wrong quickly and ended quickly. The first trouble was minor. Daemon, though banished from court to the Vale, simply showed back up. Viserys, not wanting drama to disturb an event he thought might help define his so far lackluster legacy, simply called for a chair to be added to the high table and waved it away for now. Damon had gone to the Vale as ordered, but returned just as quickly when his wife Rhea Royce was killed by him. Though he certainly finished her off, it's ambiguous exactly what he intended in the first place. She assumed he was there to kill her, and he may have been, but he had drawn no weapon, only reached for the reins of her horse. Her horse was startled when she reached for her weapon. It reared back too far and broke her neck. As we've seen him in a few other scenes, he never actually spoke a word, adding to the mystery of the moment. Almost immediately upon sitting at the high table, he takes a long look at Lady Lena, who looks back. They have a flirtatious conversation not long after, but before he pulls aside Rhaenyra. Alicent herself was the second bit of trouble, doing something entirely unexpected. To this point, she had been focused on harmony between her and Rhaenyra and her husband, seeking to avoid the future her father had called inevitable. She interrupted her husband Viserys' speech while notably wearing the colors of her father's house rather than the king's, The very definition of fashionably late, the queen acted like a queen for the first time, dominating everyone's attention, slowly making her entrance, not in any hurry at all to take her seat, not allowing him to continue. She was green and righteous and green was the queen. Alicent assumed her father's information about Damon and Rhaenyra hooking up was mistaken because only that could explain the discrepancy between her father and friend's accounts. She refused to accept the possibility that Rhaenyra was lying only to learn a truth just as terrible. She assumed Kristen Cole might know what happened between Rhaenyra and Damon, and Sir Kristen assumed Alicent was bringing up him having slept with Rhaenyra. She feels overwhelmingly betrayed by her now former best friend either way. She stood up for Rhaenyra, and her father paid the price, and confronted her with it. Otto told Alicent that she should have seen this coming, and he turned out to be right. After such a costly mistake... She's likely determined not to make any more, especially given what's at stake. Alicent no longer trusts Rhaenyra, and that trust was the only reason she didn't fear for her children. Now she does. The third problem at the celebration came because of further assumptions. Kristen was in a bad state of mind already. He was willing to break his vows for a marriage, a holy union just as powerful as his Kingsguard vows in his mind. Only a vow and life with her could overcome what he had done. It was the only way to balance that out. Kristen assumed Rhaenyra would be willing to leave it all behind. Surely, given her complaints about forced marriage and burden of rulership, she would rather run away. But she never even considered the possibility. She was confused by what he was saying at first. Her aim was to keep him as a secret lover. She thought he'd be happy with that, and Rhaenyra's assumptions were just as deadly and tragic. She assumed he would be fine with that compromise, and was so confident in that assumption that she told Sir Laenor beforehand so as to come to an arrangement with him. The princess had surprised Sir Laenor into happiness, telling him he could keep his lover as long as he did his duty to make heirs. To prove she was serious, she basically admitted she had her own lover. Laenor happily told his paramour Sir Joffrey of their luck that this political marriage would not actually interfere with their relationship, which they surely feared going in. It really looked like it would work out, but they don't know that Game of Thrones weddings never go well if they're on screen. So in summary, Rhaenyra's assumptions about her future with Sir Criston were passed to Laenor, who then passed them on to Sir Joffrey, who in turn, at the wedding celebration, went to assure Sir Criston that everything was cool. 
Sir Joffrey assumed this assurance would be welcome. He thought he was winking to the other, other man. A secret handshake between the secret lovers. He was being arrogant, but not threatening. He told him they'd all get what they wanted out of the situation. But Sir Criston saw it as anything but that. He wasn't actually getting what he wanted at all. Sir Criston felt rejected, ashamed, and worthy of nothing but death. In that state of mind, he assumed far worse things than Sir Joffrey actually intended. It may have come off like taunting, like driving the wound deeper, like blackmail maybe. Sir Criston's shame may have been deepened by the realization that far more people knew about him and the princess than he thought. Who was this man just coming up to him knowing about his relationship with Rhaenyra? It must have been quite a jolt, and he had already been quite jolted. It might have led him to think his life was truly forfeit. And Ned once told us that a man whose life is forfeit will not flinch from any crime. Given the theme we're drawing your attention to, I won't make too many assumptions, but the result was brutally clear. The ambiguity of fire and blood is adhered to when the fighting breaks out, because we don't see when the fighting breaks out. Just like it's not clear what happened with Rare Royce and Damon, just like it's not clear what Damon would have done with Rhaenyra had they not been interrupted, it's not clear how it starts between Kristen and Joffrey. The second age of dragons was to be heralded by seven days of extravagant feasting and tourneys, but while it was two deaths short of an interesting Dothraki wedding, I'd say for Westeros it fit the bill. Even though it's not the first time a wedding was ruined by the death of a Joffrey, at least this time there's no doubt whatsoever who killed Joffrey. There is doubt about the death of Lady Rhea, and no proof, though. Sir Criston, already filled with shame and rejection and perhaps expecting capital punishment, King's Yard aren't really supposed to do a number of things he's done lately, and now he thinks everybody knows about all of it, so he aims to end his own life in front of the heart tree at night. But Alicent appears like the sigil of her house, a beacon in green to light the way back to honor, or maybe just revenge or something like that. With her father's dismissal, she does need allies, even compromised ones, because the enemy of her enemy is her friend, and now her kids' lives are at stake, not just her own happiness. She's always been about duty, and her duty has changed. And Kristen Cole showed quite clearly that he is no friend to Rhaenyra anymore, in a way that there's no coming back from. Nor Sir Laenor, a dragon rider, don't forget, and a man experienced in war. After all, that's how he got to know Sir Joffrey in the first place, and the Stepstones, it seems. They'd been together for years, at least. Sir Laenor and Princess Rhaenyra's political arrangement has just begun, and it's far off course from what they planned together already. They no longer have a partner to love behind the masquerade, with one lover having killed the other. Viserys cancels the remainder of the event, skipping straight to the marriage ceremony. Sir Laenor marries Princess Rhaenyra in sight of his dead lover's blood, so distraught he can't even kiss his bride on the lips. Their facade of a marriage begins without the facade, but there's no one there to witness it anyway. Viserys continues to have horrible results during festivities. He tried to have a celebration for his son's birth, only for both the son and his wife to die. He tried to hunt the white stag, but wound up with a brown one instead, plus a whole lot of other drama. Now he tries to host the biggest wedding celebration seen in years, one for the history books, and it will be in the history books for all the wrong reasons. It erupts in violence and subsequent cancellation. This, after such incredible extravagance, the arrival of the various major families, the decorations for the welcome feast, the Valarians, their navy, their dragons, their outfits. This is not good for Viserys' legacy either, and perhaps he's really feeling that. He collapses, not for the first time in this episode, just as they're saying their vows. This kind of foreshadowing isn't meant to be subtle. <laughs> The so-called Second Age of Dragons began with epic fanfare and ends with a whimper highlighted by the king who's trying to launch it collapsing during the ceremony as a rat, perhaps looking for cheese, finds blood nearby. 
A few other odds and ends worthy of mention. Corley seems to imply to the king and Lord Strong that Ray Royce's death wasn't an accident. Then her uncle, Sir Gerald, flat out accuses Damon of killing her, also right in front of Lord Strong and the king. Viserys gives his brother a very long, hard look. Hmm. Lord Jason Lannister is quite the opposite of Cersei, Jaime, Tyrion, and Tywin. They're funny. He's not. <laughs> also not funny, but quite serious is Larry Strong, who uses overly kind language to make very pointed remarks. Not unlike a man whose name rhymes with his, Varys. Why did Larys spill the tea about the tea to Alicent? His father seems to be aiming for stability and consistently giving good advice to the king. His elder son muscled his way through the brawl like only a strong, strong can, scooping up the princess to ensure her safety. So he and his elder son have done nothing but serve well. Why is the younger son stirring up trouble? In addition to another Feast for the Eyes, we got another beautiful soundtrack, this time with music made for in-world players during the wedding. It had a similar feel to music we've heard in the original show, but with enough difference to represent the fact that we're in a different era. Factions are forming as grievances and grudges intensify, and the seemingly inevitable death of the king looms over the Iron Throne as we head into the biggest time jump yet. Join History of Westeros on YouTube during the season every Monday at 6 Eastern for a much more in-depth review of each episode, and every 3 p.m. on Saturday as we look ahead to the next episode while mixing in discussions from the books with guests. If you can't make the live streams, you can watch or listen to the replays anytime afterwards. They'll also be available wherever you consume podcasts. Alongside our House of the Dragon coverage, you'll find that over the last 10 years, we've created hundreds of other episodes about A Song of Ice and Fire, Fire and Blood, Dunkin' Egg, and everything else Westeros, Essos, and beyond, past, present, and future.